Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters, chapter 28, verses 1 to 2, 9 to 11, 15 to 20, and 58 to 68. This can be found on page 144 of your pew Bible. So, 144, or on your phones. Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 2, 9 to 11, 15 to 20, 58 to 68. So verse 1 to 2. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Verse 9 through 11. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you. Verses 15 through 20. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send you curse, send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. Verses 58 through 68. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you have dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You, were as numerous as the stars in the sky, will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and an increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among these nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you.
morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. I hope you all had a very blessed Christmas. I also hope in all the um, the busyness of you know holiday shopping and going to holiday celebrations and spending time with uh, friends and family that you also had a few, at least a few moments to uh, just reflect on the birth of Jesus and worship God for this gift. Uh, I spent some time on uh, Christmas Day actually at a Dunkin' Donuts to kind of work on the message and I started talking to a guy there that this guy noticed all the books that I had and, and he asked what I was doing and I told him I was preparing a talk for, for church this weekend. And he asked, and I, so I asked him, I said, do you go to church? And, and he said, yes. And I asked him if he believed in Jesus. And he said, yes. And he asked me the same. I told him, yes, I do. And then I felt kind of led to add, you know, yes, I believe that God sent Jesus to earth to be born a man and to live a perfect life and die on the cross and was resurrected again so that we can be reconciled back to him. He asked me, do you really believe that? And I said, yes. And I asked him, do you? And he said, yes, though he sounded a bit wavering in his answer. But it got me to think that, you know, during this Christmas season, this is what we commemorate. The hope that came with the birth of Jesus, this is what we celebrate. And that's why we gather this morning, to celebrate and worship Jesus. And if you're new here this morning or visiting um, with us and you've been away for a little while, we're currently in a series where we're going through the uh, we're actually doing a, a survey. We're trying to do a survey through the entire Bible and putting all the pieces together to see how they fit into one consistent narrative or the meta narrative, as it's often called. Since September, you know, we spent these last four months going rapidly through the first five books of the Bible, and we're finishing up with the last book today in Deuteronomy. So if you're interested and you haven't been here, you know, you can find all the sermons and on, on our website and the devotionals for the, based on the sermons uh, that's listed in the, um, in the um, address, uh, internet address on your, um, in your bulletin. And so as we get into our passage this morning, you know, you, you hear these verses and you may be thinking, like, what do you do with a passage like this? Or maybe to put it better, what do you want to do with verses like these? You know, we only read part of chapter 28, but even as you heard Christina um, read these verses, you may have squirmed a little bit hearing, you know, just the horrific images presented. And if you took time to read the whole chapter, I'll tell you, it only gets worse. You know, sure, there are blessings in the chapter, but there are only 14 verses of those. And those hardly make up for the 53 verses of curses that God will bring upon his people for their rebellion. And as we read these verses, images may be conjured up of, you know, this bloodthirsty, vengeful God that is just out to get people who disobey as we share with people about God, we probably try our best, our best to avoid passages like this because in our PC culture, you know, we focus just on the positive things. You know, I just got back a few days ago um, from Philadelphia where I took a small team uh, to work uh, with the inner city missions organization there. And we, you know, tried to minister and reach out to uh, the homeless. And, and as we tried to reach out to the homeless, we would try to offer words of encouragement you know, to tell them that, you know, God loves them. You know, like the, the track, the four spiritual laws, you know, starts off by saying, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
But if we took a page out of this chapter, you know, if you look at like a verse like verse 61, you know, you may have to say something instead like, Obey God, or He will bring every kind of sickness and disease upon you until you are destroyed. You know, what do you do with a verse like that? And though there may be truth in this verse, you know, how much do we want to believe or accept this? You know, maybe we want to concur with Marcion that perhaps the God of the Old Testament was a different divinity than the God of the New Testament embodied in Jesus. Unfortunately, this person Marcion was a heretic in the first century, so you wouldn't be in good company if you resonated with his thought. So as we look at chapters 28 to 30, I hope to show that both the blessings as well as the curses of the covenant were actually very proper and should spur God's people on to faithful obedience. Taking a page from Pastor Chuck's sermons, we'll first focus on what God was saying to his people back then, and then we'll look at what God is saying to us through this passage. So as we think about how the people in this passage understood these words, one thing we need to know is that this chapter was written following a literary form that was very common in that day. For this type of form, the curses always outweighed the blessings to emphasize the consequences if a party broke a treaty. So as Moses recited these words to the Israelites, they would have been terrified at hearing all these curses and that would have been a good thing. And though, you know, this is true that, that it's good and, and, and the curses were always longer than the blessings, you know, don't think that it, you know, we should just easily gloss over the lengthiness of the curses for this reason alone. Because the first point I want to make is that the consequences laid out in the covenant are real and are proper. And they're real and proper for, the, for a couple of reasons. First, the consequences or curses that are real and proper because they are a natural result from following after other gods. You know, you can see throughout the whole testament, the history of Israel is one of disobedience to the true God to follow after false gods, the gods of other nations. They followed after these false gods because they thought these gods could better provide for them more so than the true God. And the things they thought they sought were things like, you know, rain, fertility, victory over enemies, you know, and so on. And in reality, these gods could provide nothing for them. So the Israelites suffered the consequences for their decision. For example, if another god could not provide rain, then subsequently there would be drought in the land, as it talks about in verses 22 to 24. If another god can make the if another god could not make the land fertile, the ground would become hard, as it also says in those verses. If other gods could not protect them from their enemies, then they'll be defeated by other nations, as it says later on in that chapter. And what made matters worse is that not only that did these gods provide nothing or were unable to provide nothing, but some of these practices to worship these gods were just horrific. In Second Kings, we find the account of King jo- Josiah in Second Kings uh, chapter 22. And in this chapter, we find that Josiah uh, re- and, and some of his workers rediscovered this written covenant that was written um, and, and was hid for many, many years. Apparently what happened is that 
after Moses um, you know, gave this covenant to the people of Deuteronomy, they had it written down and they stored it in the temple. And after many, many, many years, they just forgot about it. They, they didn't look for it. They didn't care. They didn't seek to find it. And so obviously, you know, they didn't obey it. But during Josiah's reign, as he had some of his workers um, do some repairs in the temple, they stumbled across this thing. And it was the covenant. It was the written covenant. And it says in that chapter that, you know, Josiah was a good king. And, and when he heard the words of the covenant read to him, you know, he tore his robes and he repented and he tried to make things right. And through the reforms he made, we find some of the practices or acts the Israelites were caught up in during this time. Things like perver- performing perverse acts with these male shrine prostitutes, which Josiah got rid of. And they even did things like sacrificing their own children to worship this god Moloch. And so as Deuteronomy 28 mentions a sacrificing of children, so the Israelites were doing it in Second Kings. But this is what happens when they choose to follow other gods. Another reason why the consequences were real and proper was that for the Israelites to disobey and thus revoke their end of the covenant, an expected result should be a reversal of covenant blessings. For those of you who have been coming regularly during this series, I'm sure you are aware of the three promises God is fulfilling in the covenant. This covenant that he originally made with Abraham. You know, the first covenant was that he would become a nation of many people. He would have many descendants. The second promise is that they would receive land, right? And the third is that he would make these people a blessing to all the nations. And during the time of Deuteronomy, Abraham's descendants were numerous, and they were at the cusp of entering the promised land. Both were God's blessings on them as part of the covenant. But once again, God is warning them, if you break the covenant, then expect that you, should, you would lose all of this. You would revoke. All this would be revoked. Instead of being a nation of many people, look at what God tells them in verse 62 of Deuteronomy 28. You who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey God. Instead of being blessed with the promised land, God warns them in verse 64 and 65, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end to the other. Among all nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. And then God, who initially heard the Israelites' cries when they were slaves in Egypt and delivered them from slavery and brought them out of Egypt to bring them to the promised land, will ultimately bring them back to Egypt in complete reversal of the covenant if they disobey. This is what it says in verse 68. The Lord will send you back to Egypt on ships on a journey I said you should never make again. Then you will offer yourself for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. You see, God is a holy God, and he cannot be mocked. And the people persist in disobeying him, He has no obligation to fulfill his part of the covenant and will pour out his punishment on his people. And so the curse, so though the curses sound terrifying and horrific in this chapter, and they are meant to be so, recognize that some of the reasons that 
you know, they're there, are very sound and very just. Understand that, you know, God is not a bloodthirsty God who's hoping that all these curses get fulfilled. He never says these curses are inevitable. Rather, they are the result of persistent rebellion against God's grace and blessings upon his people. So for the Israelites, they should obey the, the covenant because the consequences were very real. And then God was also reminding his people back then that they should be spurred to obey the covenant because obedience to the covenant fulfills God's covenant purposes. In verse 1, in verses 9 to 10, God highlights the vision he has for this covenant people, for the Israelites. Verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And then verse 9 to 10, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. You see, the Israelites were to understand that God's purpose in setting them high above all other nations, God's purpose in having all the nations fear them, was not so that they could glorify themselves, but as redeemed people, they would give glory to God. Verse 10 can literally be translated to read, the name of the Lord will be read on us, that people would see them and see God's name written on them, and, they would, and the people would see it as a privilege to represent him to the world and show that he is the only true God. This is how the third promise was to be fulfilled. This is how they were to be a blessing to the nations. But as we know, unfortunately, the people did not do a good job of keeping the, their end of the covenant. They did not walk in obedience to the covenant. So instead of being a blessing to the nations, they were taken over by the nations. After a period, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And in 722 BC, the northern kingdom experienced the terrible consequences God promised when they were taken over by the Assyrians and exiled. And then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians and they were exiled. But understand, this was not a, actually a revocation of God's covenant. On the contrary, with this happening, the covenant was actually still being fulfilled because the consequences God spoke of in the covenant were actually ha happening. And then this relates to the last point that the people were to understand and why they should be spurred on to fulfill and obey the covenant. And that is because God would enable them to do so. You know, chapters 28 to 30, rather than portraying this vengeful, ruthless God, actually portrays one who is quite the opposite. A God, though he will punish for disobedience, is a God actually of amazing grace and patience. You know, the, the exiles of the two kingdoms that I just mentioned happened hundreds of years after the covenant was spoken. And the Lord would have totally been in his right to have imposed these curses much earlier. But he didn't. And even more so, 
in Amos 4, there's some interesting verses. In Amos 4, chapter seven, or verse 7 to 8, it says this. Amos writes, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it on, from another. One field had, had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. When you read these verses, what you have to come to understand is that God did not impose these curses unilaterally or uniformly, but he spread them out, imposing them one or two at a time. That's why he says, I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. He was hoping that his people would see what's happening and would wake up and return to the Lord. But unfortunately, as it says at the end of um, verse 8, they didn't return to the Lord. And even though the people persisted in rebelling, God's grace and patience reached even further. If if you have your Bibles um, to... Deuteronomy, turn to Deuteronomy 28, flip over a couple of chapters to Deuteronomy 30. Let's read verse 1 to 3 and 6 to 8. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 3. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where he scattered you. And then verse 6 to 8. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will, again, you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. So you see, in spite of the people's rejection of the covenant, God has not revoked his, his, his end of the covenant, but promised that one day he would circumcise the hearts of the Israelites so that they could fulfill the covenant and receive the blessings that were implicit in the covenant. Of course, the people who persisted in rebellion disqualified themselves from the covenant and were destroyed as God promised in Deuteronomy 28. But God did not give up on the nation Israel. As the people were enabled and came to their senses and returned to the Lord, their fortunes would be restored. They would once again be his covenant people. And so all these things was what God was saying. to 30. Oops, sorry, my, my battery just died. Um, so if this is what God said to the people back then, then what does it say for us now? From this side of the cross, you know, maybe we read chapters like Deuteronomy 28 and we want to dismiss its warnings because we are no longer under the law. And that's true. You know, Galatians 3, verse 13, even tells us that through Jesus, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So I think one thing we should first consider 
is the work of Jesus who made this possible. You know, as you know, in communion, we take the cup, and, and as the person who gives the cup, you know, always recites in First Corinthians, Jesus said in the Last Supper, you know, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we are not under the old covenant, the Mosaic law, but we're in a new covenant relationship with God. Through the sacrifice of Christ, our sins can be forgiven. Through the cross, we are brought near to God to enjoy this relationship with him. God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus' sacrifice of himself. So as I asked my friend at the Dunkin' Donuts, you know, I, I want to ask you, do you believe this? Have you placed your trust in him as the one who frees us from the old covenant and its curses? And though we have received mercy and forgiveness at the cross, we also need to recognize that just as the Israelites had responsibilities back then under the old covenant, so there are responsibilities for his followers now. Because God has not worked just to forgive our sins through Jesus Christ, but to transform us, to follow and obey God. Our hearts have now been circumcised, as Paul says in Romans 2, reflecting back to Deuteronomy 30. Circumcised so that we may love God with all our heart and soul. And Jesus says if we love him, we will obey his commands. And in John 15, we even see somewhat of a parallel to the blessings and curses found in Deuteronomy 28. To illustrate in John 15, verses 5 to 6, it says this, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the blessing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's the curse. Verse 1 and 2 also illustrate this. Jesus says, I am the the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, which is the curse, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear more fruit, the blessing. You know, when we were in uh, Philadelphia outreaching to the homeless, the first couple of nights we went out and started talking to people. And the, initially, the questions we would ask them were things like, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? But we soon realized that this wasn't sufficient of a question to ask. For many of these people, you know, grew up in a church or had a church upbringing and felt like they knew Jesus and may have even had a relationship with Jesus. You know, we discovered we couldn't just stop by asking these questions. We had to go deeper to ask them things like, well, you know, what do you know? Or what do you believe about Jesus? And how does your relationship with Jesus make a difference in your life? So these same questions can be asked of us this morning. You know, what do you believe about Jesus? And how does having a relationship with Jesus influence your life? Do you submit to him as the leader of your life? Can you recognize fruit that you are bearing for him? Because without fruit, as it says in John 15, he'll just cut off and throw it into the fire and it will be burned. You know, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, God once again has circumcised our hearts to set them apart and set, set us apart so that we may be his covenant people. 
So may, may we be the people in Deuteronomy 28 where it says that the name of the Lord will be read on us so that the nations can see that God is the true God and they would be drawn to God and fear him. And God would work this out to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you uh, just during the season as we celebrate Christmas. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to forget, you know, why we even have this holiday. And to forget about the great gift that you have given us through Jesus Christ. Father, in the busyness of the season, may we spend some time to reflect on this precious, most valuable gift that you have given us, Jesus Christ, who came and was born a man and and lived the perfect life and died and rose again so that we could be reconciled in our relationship back with you. Father, as you have circumcised the hearts of your followers so that we can be your covenant people and obey you. May our lives reflect this. May we be bearing fruit for you. May, may people see in us your name read on our lives. And may you do this, Lord, so that the nations will know that you are the only true God and they will come to fear you and praise you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.